0: This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This
1: is Discovery.
2: You're listening to the Millennial Balance podcast right here on 105.9 The Region, exclusively part of our Discoveries Block. and I'm Shaliza Bacchus.
3: I'm Ba. Hope you guys are all good, enjoying the fall weather.
2: And we are back. We are back with another episode of Millennial Balance. It's all fall. It's all fall. I'm here for yeah. fall. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm usually not that into fall, but I don't know what it is with me these days. Like I've always just trying to take in all of the different seasons. So even this, with this season in particular, I'm like, you know, let me try, you know, something different. Let me go out and see like the changing of the leaves. Um Try some pumpkin spice, but I haven't done that. So <laughs> come on, Apple. <laughs> if you don't have a Starbucks coffee in your hand, it's it's just not right. So that's okay. <laughs> I'm allow it.
2: And you know what? It's actually quite beautiful. And uh, we were just talking about this off the air. The traffic, the traffic is just wild. So at least there's something pretty to look at mm-hmm. while you're stuck in traffic. the The leaves changing looks rather beautiful, and we're headed into spooky season as well. Yeah. So excited for that. Now, okay. I feel like I feel like you're not a true millennial unless you've thrown a house party in a house that isn't yours. Then I'm not a true
3: millennial. Okay,
2: well, (laughs) conversation done. All right. Time for me to leave. Bye. (laughs) Or attended attended some sort of house party.
3: My life has consisted of just staying at home watching Gilmore Girls. So if you want to host that, I mean, come on down. You can come
2: to my house. I mean, that might be allowed according to Airbnb's new rules. Uh, But if you are thinking about throwing a house party this Halloween, you might want to think twice if you're going to do it in an Airbnb. Uh, We are joined by Matt McNamma from Airbnb to tell us all about these new rules that are in place. How are you, Matt?
4: I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So let's talk about those rules. So yeah, we have anti-party correct on an Airbnb uh, and essentially it's saying that uh, we're not having parties in Airbnb anymore. Uh, So if you are someone who's going on Airbnb to book a listing uh, you will be uh, flagged to say, Hey, you have to abide by the rules uh, that having no parties in Airbnb. And there's certain rules that are in place. We've had this in place for um, last year as well. Uh, And the policy is working. So what we found is that we had, uh, I believe it was five thousand in uh, five thousand people were deterred from booking Airbnb for parties in 2021 for Halloween uh, and over a hundred thousand in Canada across the country. So um, it's working, and it's what it's really doing is keeping communities safer, and that's what it's all about. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, Airbnb is a place that has you know we have over a billion bookings worldwide, uh, and the vast majority of people. Uh, are abiding by the rules and being respectful of the house that they're in. And they're being respectful of the neighborhoods that they're in, but we have to make the rules to make sure that everyone is feeling safe. And so that's what this is really about.
3: Have you seen any pushback um, since these rules have been in place?
4: There was, you know, there's some pushback. Uh, and so what, you know, what we did uh, we, we introduced a party ban around the pandemic uh, a couple of years ago. And the pandemic was basically was the reason for it. it was essentially you couldn't, gather in large gatherings anymore uh, and then we codified that into our policy uh uh earlier this year uh, and yeah there was of course some pushback for from from guests who were like yeah the everyone wants to uh have, like you mentioned at the, at the top of the of the podcast here people love to go to houses and party uh so but at the end of the day we had to do what's right and this was the right policy to to put into place and we're happy to do it and we're at, you know if we can keep keep community safe we'll we'll take the pushback it's fine
2: but question: What's different now about these policies than the ones that were in place before? Is it, or in addition to the policies that were already in place?
4: So the Halloween ban is is the second year we've done that. So this is a continuing policy. But what's different is now anyone who's booking at Airbnb for a one or two night stay over Halloween weekend is going to have a prompt on their computer that says you must abide by the rules. And if you don't abide by those rules, you you you'll face the consequences. Whether that's you know, an outright ban on on booking Airbnb or it could be a temporary ban or whatever it may be. So the goal is to keep communities safe and we're hoping that that does the trick. Uh, And what we're seeing here is that the party ban that we put in place a number of years ago and the Halloween ban place we had last year works. Um, We saw when we put the party ban in place uh, in 2020, we saw a 43% reduction in parties being reported in Canada. Uh, And that's a huge number when you really think about it. It, A huge shop of people saying there's a disruption in our neighborhood. uh, And that's what we want to continue doing.
2: And obviously we want to keep communities safe and things like that. But what do you think is like the main problem uh, with parties, even with people who just have gatherings at Airbnbs? Maybe it doesn't have the intention to be a party, but do you think that's a problem as well?
4: Well, I mean, it's a gray area because what do we consider a gathering? It could be a family of 15, is that a gathering? So so at the end of the day, we have to sort of bill it as, is it disruptive to the community? Is it disruptive to the other people that might be in the house? Uh, if you're sharing a house, for example, because you can book a private room at Airbnb, that's how we determine it. Uh, and at the end of the day, I you know, I think generally speaking, people know when that gathering has crossed a line, uh, but we have to make sure that we have policies in place that um, that make it abundantly clear what is and is not acceptable.
3: I think I was just going to ask that in terms of how how do you regulate, I mean, sort of what is determined a gathering. I mean, let's say, as Shaliza just pointed out, it's a house, fam- like it's a family gathering, but it's just like maybe the uncle's getting too rowdy. So does yeah. that mean in the future that that sort of family would be penalized because of one sort of family member? like how how do you regulate and those terms of instances where it could maybe just be a one-off situation where it's just it was just the worst circumstance that could happen as opposed to maybe some people who are just like they're they're just repeat offenders,
4: yeah. Well, you know mistakes happen and um and you know we want to be aware of that. but. Uh, you know our customer service team is is very well trained, and when they receive a call that says you know there's a disruption in the neighborhood, we have a 24-hour uh, support line for for neighborhoods. So if there was a party you know at an Airbnb on, on your on your street, um, a neighbor could call that support line, and those customer service representatives are very well trained uh, to escalate and to uh, to assess situation. Escalations could involve calling the police. It could involved just asking them to please calm down it depends on the situation um and that's the, they use their training in order to determine what is what is not a party and and they take action from there
2: and what do you think have been like the main red flags in the past in like you know discovering parties and and causing problems in general in the neighborhoods
4: well a lot of them are addressed within this policy so you know one night bookings always is going to maybe raise some suspicions there someone who doesn't have uh, a history of positive reviews. You know, if you, I don't know if you're on Airbnb, but if you are, you've likely had had a review on your on your on your profile. Uh, and if that's a five star review, we're probably going to be okay with that. So, uh, generally speaking, we'll go okay. You're you're a good person. You're, you're going to be respectful of the community, the neighborhood, and 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 the home that you're in. Um, if you don't have a history of positive reviews, yeah, you're going to be banned from uh, booking on Halloween night and booking a two nights stay. That's the the rules we have to be put in place in order to keep everyone safe, and we're happy to to have them in place.
3: Do you think that these this ban could be lifted in the short term? I mean, or is it sort of you're going by you know year by
4: year basis? The party ban is codified into our policies, so no parties are allowed in Airbnb. Uh, the anti-party crackdown that you're seeing for Halloween is specific to that prompt where it says uh, you must abide by the rules to not have a party. For one to two nights. Um, and that's what's unique to situations. And we've done this in other situations as well, you know, over New Year's Eve, for example, obviously a big party time. Uh, and in the States, you know, July 4th weekend, stuff like that. Um, so it's usually done around those big holidays where we know we're going to see an uptake in the holiday on, on parties um, and where people are looking to go and party. So we want to raise the flag and say very clearly Airbnb is not the place to host those parties.
3: So likely this, this is going to probably pop up for Christmas, New Year's, likely this year, especially now that given restrictions, they're virtually non-existent at this point.
4: Yeah, it's interesting because the restrictions a couple of years ago were obviously quite rampant from the pandemic. Uh, so, yeah, we'll probably be seeing this again for, how, for for New Year's Eve. And we did that pre-pandemic as well.
2: Now, what do you think are the best ways to take advantage of Airbnb then if people still want to spend time with a, a few people uh, over the holidays? And even if it's for Halloween and not throwing a rowdy party, what do you suggest?
4: Well, it's so funny. Um, you mentioned at the top of the call, um, like, you know, you, you want to stay in and watch Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and <Yes>. it's really... <laughs> It's really turned into that. Like I can't, I can't tell you the last time I went to a house party uh, and that's, that's a pandemic thing, right? And we just, we don't do that much anymore. Um, so have a, have a movie night and, you know, cook a dinner and a listing. If you're staying with those hosts, get to know the hosts that you're with. Um, there's many ways to still celebrate the spooky season without, um, without throwing, uh, you know, a rager quote unquote. And, you know, I think we're all, we all love, you know, watching Hocus Pocus and, and, you know, s- scream and, and those great experiences. And those are things that we can do now and, um, and still be respectful of the community.
2: And I have a question for you, like outside of like the Airbnb side of things, but in general, you just, and you just touched on it. You said you hadn't been to a house party in a while. Yeah. Do you think the house party era is kind of fading away?
4: Well, so I am of a certain age. I, for, so for me, it's like, I, the house parties are sort of <laughs> they I've stopped doing them, but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I've, this has come up with my friends recently, and I, I actually do think that you know we've we've shifted into seeing you know one or two friends as opposed to being you know a group bigger people. But we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I think now the restrictions have ended, and I think travel hesitancy is lifted, and um, gathering hesitancies have lifted. We'll see if it reverts back to what it was a couple of years ago, or if, or if it just evolves.
3: I, for one, am am for like just a gathering of like if if wine is your thing, just a Halloween wine tasting. Yeah. More like, you know, Ooh. a cookie tasting party. <laughs> I like food, as you can see. So I'm very much like, just bring the food. No need yeah. for all of the other stuff. Just bring bring the food. There's more fun in eating
2: than in party. I agree. I agree. Or... Coffee tasting.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I want to be clear. I had a pumpkin spice latte this morning. Oh, no. I'm embracing fall.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We are here for the pumpkin spice. We're here for all things fall, but we are not here for partying in Airbnbs. We want everyone to be safe this Halloween season. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we hope everyone stays safe this spooky season.
4: Thanks so much.
0: Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Hey there and welcome to another episode of Mental Health Moments hosted by yours truly, Phil McCabe and brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Now, before we get into today's show, did you know that uh, Discovery, the wonderful show that hosts this podcast, as well as some of our wonderful clients as well, all of these podcasts and moreover, Discovery can be found by just searching Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on whatever podcast platform you're using. By all means, check it out. Now, last episode, I spoke with Dr. Jennifer Fraser about the physiological impacts of bullying on a child's mind, and today I'm pivoting a little bit by keeping with a similar theme. Today, I am joined by someone I've known for literally decades, someone that's a mom, a teacher, an all-around great person, and of course, a football fan, but that's neither here nor there. Laura Johnson, thank you for joining me today.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: As I said in the intro, we've known each other for quite some time. In fact, we were classmates back in elementary school. I I wanted to ask you something. Back when we were classmates, I was dealing with a lot of bullying and what have you, but at the same time, I I saw the likes of yourself and some other classmates that seemed to maintain this aura of coolness of sorts, that you always seemed to be the the smartest kid in the room, uh, the coolest kid in the yard, and probably the best athlete out there as well to boot. All that to say... From my perspective, while I was being bullied, it seemed like you had kind of the, the perfect life of sorts. But from your perspective, was that the case or did you kind of feel like you were being pressured to be the smartest kid, to be the best athlete and all those things that came with
1: Well, thank you for the compliments, first of all, but honestly, I felt from a young age, and I don't know if it's because of where we went to school, like the demographic, but I did feel very grateful to have two parents who were still together, very loving and supportive, and they always made me feel confident. I sort of used that kind of feeling and that sense of security to hopefully bring that to others. I mean, maybe I took part sometimes in like laughing if something happened, but for the most part, when it came down to actual serious bullying, verbal or physical abuse, I felt kind of like it was kind of like my responsibility a little bit because of how I was raised. Like my parents raised me to be kind and to be nice and to stand up for what's right. When I would notice that was happening, Um, I don't know, something just like innately in me told me to be like you need to stop this or you need to support the peer who's um, who's being bullied. So I think it wasn't so much pressure like from my parents, more of maybe my own moral compass. And that made me kind of be like, you know what, that's wrong, and I should do something about it.
0: Well, and I'm glad you say that, too, because the second part of what I wanted to say was, Looking back on it, I'd be hard pressed to find uh, an instance where yourself and some of our classmates were negative towards me. So thank you for that. But to be honest with you, Laura, leading into this conversation, I went back and forth with myself. If it was jealousy I was feeling towards you or if it was some kind of, you know, she must have had everything perfect. But the reality is you handled life the best way you could and whether or not it seemed perfect from my perspective was kind of irrelevant. You just, and I appreciate what you said about, you know, it's important to, to lead with
1: kindness for sure. Right. And it's, it's normal though, to look at other people and be like, well, why aren't they being teased or whatever? Kids are kids and kids can be rude. And I do remember being teased. I have like a raspy, deeper voice and I'd be made fun of, or you sound like a man or blah, 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 a nice voice and stuff like that. Um, But it wasn't as ongoing and it wasn't as frequent or intense as what some other people went through. I teach my students now there's a difference between teasing and bullying because they're so quick to drop the word bullying. Like I told you before in brief conversations that I will bring up what happened to you and I'm like, "No, no, no, like someone one time saying you're stupid is not bullying. That's teasing. That's rude." But it needs to be ongoing and it needs to be sort of like not, not just ongoing, but also intense. I do I do teach my students that and I reference some of your experiences and I say, you know, like I have seen bullying firsthand and... It's
0: awful. Well, and uh, I'll I'll say again, uh, thank you for how you uh, handled our our quote-unquote friendship in in previous years. And in general, the the fact that you're able to take what I found a pretty negative experience and use it as a positive is is kind of the point of this show. You know, I'm trying to to find all of the the bad and crap, for lack of a better word, that I've dealt with and turn it into something good. So my uh, my last point before we move on to current schooling is, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'll ask anyway, do you find that the way your school life was as a, as a young person kind of shaped how you teach or or it didn't really matter, you were going to be a, a teacher no matter what?
1: Um, good question. Yeah, I always wanted to teach. Um, more so, I wanted to um, help other people. So, even in elementary school, I'm one of the lucky ones. School came easy to me. Uh, I wasn't the greatest at math, but like I, and learning in general came pretty easy to me. So, I would finish my work and I would look for other people to help. Give me a hand. Can I teach you something? Oh, this is how I do it. Does this help you? And so, from a very young age, it was just sort of in me to help people. And then um, I thought, okay, well, the best way to Help students um, at this age, as in, like when I was in, just a grade five, and for the future, is to become a teacher.
0: You've been a teacher for years now. Uh, you did some uh, mm-hmm. substitute teaching, and now you're a full time teacher as well. So, I wanted to ask you, from your perspective, how how are kids doing? now in terms of like their their spirits, their overall mental health? And is it notably different compared to pre-pandemic schooling?
1: Definitely different. Basically, what I like to say is with the surgence of social media and the internet, that definitely has shaped and changed schooling in general. Bullying before, you know, you had to be pretty bold and see the person face to face and they mean things, and that's a lot more difficult to do. Everything's a lot easier behind a screen. So, in terms of mental health surrounding schools, um, the internet, and then so COVID, obviously, with kids just being at home on laptops. Um, That absolutely uh, was detrimental to their their mental health. I've noticed a lack of social skills, uh, a lack of self-regulation, like students who otherwise would be able to kind of pull it together and and rein it back in if they get overwhelmed, um, I find are having more intense breakdowns and longer, like unable to kind of self-regulate and bring themselves back to the learning despite however many strategies we give. We have hall passes break passes we try our best but honestly it's it's been rough and i think post-covid it's, it's definitely gotten it's gotten worse
0: see i find that interesting that you're, you're saying that post-covid it's gotten worth worse excuse me and or do you think that that's primarily because of the the isolation and the the lack of normalcy in going to school or do you think there's some other factors there
1: no i think that's totally it also depending on home life situations. Uh, My school is a bit of a tougher school. The the demographic is very much a single-parent home type thing, and and a lot of the students, you know, their parents are working two jobs, and they're not there all the time. Those students have had that isolation, Um, and so I find now with the the mental health piece especially uh, a lot of anxiety. So, for example, I have two students who have genuine, pretty intense panic attacks when it comes to gym class. They feel like people are looking at them and watching them. And really, if you had just gone through schooling, it would kind of just be part of your part of your routine, right? We had gym every day or every other day in certain circumstances. Yeah, these students now, any kind of presentation, any kind of eyes on them, they're having a pretty tough time with it. Uh, not everyone, of course, but many of the students are having a really tough time. And that's because when they were doing virtual school, you weren't required to turn your camera on. They could still be engaged in the learning, but they could be a black screen. They didn't have to talk. We're currently doing a project where I said, you know, depending on how long this uh, biography unit takes, we might present our biographies at the end. And I probably had half the class, no, no, no. And I'm like, what, what, what's going on? I don't want to present. I don't want to talk in front of people. And okay, well, you're going to have to learn, right? We can't just, so it's a lot of, mental health coaching and it's okay and here's some strategies for when you're nervous and take a deep breath and everyone gets nervous talking in front of people so it's a lot of a lot of teaching now is actually just teaching to mental health and and the social relationships of students
0: I literally work in an industry where you have to talk for a living and it still scares the bejesus out of me the fact that it's scary forces me to put my best foot forward use that that negative energy in kind of okay, you know you're nervous, so why don't you rehearse what you're going to say one more time and so on and so forth. So I certainly related to what you were describing in your students. Now, I wanted to pivot a little bit. I, I live in the media world. You live in the teaching world, so I thought I'd try and blend these a little bit. When I look at my social media, when I look at the news and so on and so forth, it seems as though I'm just constantly bombarded with bad news, with negativity, with death, and so on and so forth. So my question for you as an educator do you think that it's important that we let our children, uh, either students or our actual blood children, do you think it's important that we make them aware of the, the, the world and the negativity around them? Or is this something that perhaps we are better suited until, uh, to keep them away from this until they're better suited to handle it mentally?
1: That's a great question, and honestly, this is something that um, my my colleagues and I discussed. Again, partially has to do with the internet and the exposure to news. But these kids are talking about stuff that I did not even know existed pretty much until I was in high school. I think there needs to be a balance, and I think it should be case by case basis. Um, just like an adult, there are very sensitive children. There are tougher children, there's children who can handle it. There are a bunch of kids who, you know, they're on Twitter, they're on this, they're getting news that they can't really comprehend and then they go and they reiterate, they spew what they've read but they don't understand it and they're not really sure how to unpack what they're reading. Like you said, the news can be a very it can be a very dark kind of situation when you go down a rabbit hole of this war is going on and this is happening and poverty here and death here and it gets overwhelming for adults and we have, most of us, have the processing to kind of break it down and, and analyze what's going on. Um, but many adults feel helpless and so do kids. So it's a it's a tough question. Um, I find that if students bring things up, I'm not just going to sweep it under the rug and ignore it. If this is something that they find important, they want to discuss about, I try to as best I can. But you also need to tread very carefully because for some students, a teacher's word is pretty much law. And you need to find that fine line between giving your opinions and giving facts and also structuring it in a learning environment.
0: No, and that makes perfect sense. I, I, to be honest, I didn't think that I was going to get like a a definitive yes or no answer there, because I I think that, Something of that nature is very much a gray area that what works for for me and my son may not work for you and your daughter kind of deal. Um, Speaking of which, off the top, I said you're a a mom here to a wonderful little lady who just turned one. So congratulations and happy birthday to her. Uh, Is there anything that from teaching and being an educator... That has translated into being a mom and vice versa. Is there anything about being a mom that you've kind of adapted into the way you approach teaching?
1: The main thing I'd like to get across to parents, whether you're a new parent, whether you have a teenager right now, anything, is I know it's hard and it's only going to get harder. Put the phone down and pay attention to your child. That's not to say you can never take a break and you can never check your phone around your child, but they are sponges and they watch and they see. And so much of behavior in school is linked to attention and lack of attention. These students are not being paid attention to at home. We're a generation where most of us had a cell phone starting in high school-ish. Um, now kids have cell phones at four and five, and they mimic what their parents do. My daughter will take my phone. like kid, Young kids are obsessed with screens in general, whether we're on it or not, really. And she puts it to her ear when she sees me talking, and she pretends the, the phone is ringing and stuff. But that's just a small thing that shows that as she gets older, she's going to watch and see how much we are on our phones and what we do with them. So that definitely impacts my parenting in terms of seeing what the kids are like with their, with their phones. And they will tell me, you know, my mom's always on her phone. My dad's always on his phone. And so I'm going to try really hard not to show my daughter that. Um, And then in terms of, being a parent and impacting my teaching, knowing that even in the toughest toughest of situations for these parents, the love they have for their kids. Before I was a parent, it's easy to judge and, and say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm emailing and calling about your son or daughter and, you know, sometimes they don't reply and I'm just like, don't they even care and I kind of found myself getting jaded if these parents, if I'm trying to say, you know, your child's struggling or this is going on and they're not replying, I would find myself getting a little jaded, like they should care more. Don't they care? Don't they care? And I absolutely know that they care and that there's other things going on in their lives. Some of these parents have three jobs. Sometimes replying to an email, it can take them two weeks, and it doesn't mean they don't care. They're just extremely busy with multiple children and multiple jobs. It's definitely helped, um in that way, because I care so much about the kids that if I feel like their parents weren't caring, it would really upset me and affect me. And now I'm trying to take it slow and be like, you know what? They'll reply when they can. They do have their child's best interest at heart. And I got to just keep telling myself that.
0: Laura, you're an educator, you're a mom, you're an all around great person. Thank you for being on the show with me
1: today. Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. This has been Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.